This program is a production of Restoring the Core, an initiative designed to assist those wishing to go deeper into classic Christianity with resources available in a connected age, online at restoringthecore.com. This is Finding Hidden Treasure. This is another one of the episodes that is in a conversational mode, so talking over some things concerning scripture. My son Zach is kind enough to uh, interact with me in this conversation. Hello, Zach. Hello. So what have you got for me today? So uh, I wanted to bring up, there was one thing that uh, I had heard you say before uh, that really caught my attention and I just wanted to get some of your thoughts to elaborate on uh, what you meant. And that was uh, in the middle of a prayer, you said something about, Lord, restore our souls. And it's definitely a unique line. And so I was hoping that uh, you might be able to elaborate on that a little bit for me. Sure. Uh, Some of the reading I've been doing, not only of the New Testament, not only of the Psalms, but also in some other sources have been talking about how we need a rest that goes beyond the rest that our body has. And of course, God knows quite literally that we need that. I think there is a sense in which our souls can get tired and worn out. That the way that we live that supernatural dimension of our lives when we aren't in prayer, when we aren't meditating on the word, when we aren't following the things of God, our bodies may physically be thriving, but there's something within us, our soul, that is beginning to feel the effects. It it begins to decay. It's withering. Uh, The Puritans spoke about that, the uh, beware of the decay of the soul to make sure that one is following the things of the Lord. What is that? What does that look like, the decay of the soul? I think the decay of the soul is when you're not paying attention to the things of the Lord. When I think, at least for myself, because I became a believer when I was well into adulthood, while I had some Christian training as a younger person, it was to somebody who was not a believer. I remember it, but I really wasn't following it. I think that the decay of the soul is a reliance on the things of the flesh, that you're defaulting to the things of your body, of the outer world. Uh, the Lord Jesus, for example, talks about in uh, what's called the parable, of the, uh, the parable of the sower, talks about four different types of soils in which the seed of the word of God is thrown. First one is thrown into a hardened road, at which point the birds come and eat it, so there's no effect. Second one, there's a thin veneer of soil, so the seed sprouts very quickly but dies out for lack of depth. For myself, I think the third soil is the one that I really see as a warning for myself personally. And it's what happens when the seed is there and it doesn't die off, but it doesn't thrive because of things such as the cares of this world, the pleasures of this world, basically the things of this world that stymie it. So when you're asking about decay of the soul, I think it's when one allows the circumstances that you're living in the pleasures you may be seeking, the places you're getting your joy from are not in the things of the Lord, but they're in other things. What does that look like in terms of practical ways that maybe someone who's listening could look at their own life and say, oh yeah, I'm I'm suffering from one of these. Is it something with relationship with friends or family, or is it more of a, an internal feeling, a mix of all of that? I think there could be several things. Some of them would be, I think, clearly negative some of them maybe not so let me try to give a few examples that come right off the top of my uh, mind about this think that when people are worried about finances and please understand i'm not saying that people necessarily shouldn't be concerned about it 
I know that you and I have had conversations about those in your generation who are facing the ongoing burden of student loans, for example, that they're paying back yep. for years after they're done with college. I think it's one thing to be concerned. It's another one to be worried. I define that crossing of the line when one no longer sees God as the one to whom they go to for these circumstances in life, to go, Lord, quite literally, how do I get through this? What do I do? And it crosses the line into what do I do? That mm. you become the one who tries to engineer the situation, that one wouldn't be looking to God's provision, that one wouldn't be trusting in the Lord for direction, for wisdom as to how to handle this. It's relying on yourself. It could be the pursuit of any number of things that could be away from the things of the Lord. One of the things that I've been reading about recently, and I think it's a really good warning, is that there are things that we could do that will outwardly seem not to be negative. I mean, one could say, okay, worry about finances. I think everyone would be pretty clear Ideally, you shouldn't do that. But what happens, let's say, where your family now becomes the most important thing in your life? In our culture, you'll have people say, well, what's the most important thing? Family. Okay, should be right up there. But if you're a believer, there is somebody who's supposed to be higher. Mm -hmm. It might not be the politically correct thing to say, but I think it's the case where even a lot of Christians will say the family's most important. We can make idols out of our family. That will be a stress, for example, particularly in a marriage where perhaps a spouse, a husband will think his wife will meet all of his needs and she can't. She can't provide spiritual sustenance at the level that God would when one idolizes their children or a parent or a child might idolize a parent. So it's I think it's a misplaced relationship. It's a good relationship, but one that's misplaced. Even within the church, and this is something that's been of concern to me, is that there are things that can look diligent in terms of a Christian pursuit, and they can still be off track. And here's where I'm going with this. It has to do with what happens with information. I know that there can be any number of people who think, well, I've read so many Christian books, I've seen so many Christian videos, I've been to so many Christian conferences, and for them it may be a substitute for growing in the holiness of the Lord. And please understand, I think all those things of and by themselves are good. When they become the end result of things, I think it's an issue. This is something I've had to deal with recently. As I've gotten older, I've had the chance to do some decluttering of things in my office at my house. And I've noticed how many paper articles I kept. A lot of it was because I picked these up in a pre-internet era. Believe it or not, there actually was one. But I'm looking at this going, even if I knew I had these things, what would I do with them? Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of these things are now in paper recycle. But where I'm going with that is, I think even for a while, I myself fell into the trap of thinking that life consists of the abundance of the Christian information I collected. That's not the case. The information must lead to one's transformation in Christ. So I think the answer to your question can be rather broad-based. I think it narrows down to anything that's taking our eyes off Christ is going to begin to act to decay our souls. And it sounds like maybe what I've noticed between all of those things, what might be a unifying factor would be if you can look at yourself and say that you really don't have a sense of peace or rest in Christ. Would it be fair to say that between all of these things, because a prayer for restore our souls really is more of a personal prayer. No one's going to know if your soul needs restoring except for you. And so a good way to maybe know if that's a place that you're in or a position that you really do need that soul restoration would be a lack of peace and a lack of rest in Christ. I think having a sense of peace is a strong indication that the Lord is working through you at this time. 
I want to make a distinction between peace and numbness. Mm. The way it's defined in Hebrew is that word peace is shalom. It's not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of a problem. It's a definite sense of wholeness that one has. I think that the numbing part can be where one might become blind to the things that they need and they think, oh, everything's going okay. They're just not feeling the effects of the spiritual decay at this point yet. When your mom and I were praying and I was praying, restore our souls, I wasn't thinking in anything in particular going, well, I think your mom's needing. It was more the sense of, I think this is a general prayer that even where we might be blind to it on our own, for a while, that asking the Lord, in essence, restore our souls, there are times that I think we don't even know what we need. Uh, I've been told that about the way that the gospel needs to be proclaimed, that the people who need to hear the gospel primarily, and everyone does, but for those who are unbelievers, they aren't thinking in those terms. They're thinking in other terms about what they're looking for, typically things that are of this world, the physical world, which would make sense because that's where their mind is at. Just that sense of being blind to their real spiritual need. And I think there are times Christians can become numb to their spiritual need, that they know they need to spend more time in prayer, that there's a greater depth of devotion they need, they must have with the Lord, that they know that that sense of a relationship of love with the Lord just isn't what it used to be. Mm. So when I'm saying restore our souls, I just think it's a good general prayer. Uh, I would pray it, if, for example, if I were leading our congregation in prayer on a Sunday morning, that's something I would pray. I have no idea about the state of the souls of everyone who's there, the maybe 200 plus people. But I think it would be a good prayer to pray, not only individually, but also uh, collectively with Christians to say, Lord, restore our souls. There's some degree to which we need it. I think about that just even with the circumstances we live in, in not only in our current culture, but also generationally. I have the sense that your generation has, in many ways, a lot more stress points in your lives than we have had in ours. It's hard to tell because you can't live our lives, we can't live yours. Right. But knowing that, when the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, let me start in verse 27 for context because I think this is really comforting. The Lord Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So we have Jesus saying that all things have been handed over to him by his Father. Where I want to go here is the next verse in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't think we need, especially in our culture, I know that there is the sense of challenge of doing hard things, triathlons, for example, people willing to do things that are difficult for the challenge of them. But there's also a degree at which it's one thing to live up to a challenge. It's another thing to live under crushing circumstances chronically. And the Lord Jesus knew, I mean, he's not just talking to people in the first century. The word of God applies to all time. So. Mm-hmm. He's talking not only to the first century people in Palestine, he's talking to early 21st century people here in the United States, around the world, that he now, present tense, is offering rest for their souls. That's something that with all the stress we face, and like I was saying earlier about that third kind of soil in the parable of the sower, that rather than allowing these things in our lives to choke us out, to choke out that spiritual life, that we remember there's one who promised he would give us rest in the midst of this not away from our stress, but in the midst of it. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind.
is a takeaway. Awesome. So we talked about the decay of the soul and finding rest for your soul. Is there anything more specifically about restoring our souls? We went through the passage in Matthew 11 that talked about the Lord Jesus giving rest to our souls. And I I see that as a combined idea with what we find David writing about in Psalm 23, probably one of the most famous Psalms of the book of the Psalter. Let me start with verse one for context. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That just simply means I will not be in need. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. Notice he makes me lie down in green pastures. There are times in which we need to be forced to rest. We don't even understand that at times, especially in our culture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is, again, I think, bringing shalom, that sense of peace to our soul, that it's the Lord who brings it to us. Jesus promises that in Matthew 11. We see its Old Testament counterpart in Psalm 23. So when we're looking at what brings rest, I believe it is fellowship with the Lord. In uh, Psalm 16, toward the end of Psalm, David writes, In your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. For as many gifts as we may want, whatever giftings we need, there's no gift greater that we can get than God himself in Christ. To have a restored soul is to have a restored shalom and peace and fellowship with Christ. That, I think, is going to look different for different people. Let me close with this one example. There is a conference speaker, Nancy Lee DeMoss, who mentioned one time when she was talking to a mother of, uh, I believe, some very young kids. She had, like, about three kids under the age of six. And you can imagine that somebody under these conditions is leading a rather stress-filled life, always under demand from the little kids, that kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. One would think, okay, if I could take a spiritual hiatus from Christ because I'm really busy, now would be the excuse to do it. And this woman told Nancy Lee DeMoss, Nancy, I will never start a day without Christ. Where I want to go with that is that this finding rest for your souls isn't going to necessarily be passive. It's going to be pursued actively, which sounds maybe kind of strange to us. But how many of us will work hard for a vacation somewhere? Let's say a Florida vacation will will work and save and struggle so that we can go on a vacation. I think there may be and there is a degree of effort that is required for us to find rest in the things of the Lord. But as again, knowing it's a priority with us and that he's the gift and he restores. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for listening to this program. We can be contacted at mail at restoringthecore.com. We're on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash restoringthecore. You can also follow us on Twitter at RestoreTheCore. Thank you for listening. We hope you will join us next time for Finding Hidden Treasure.